Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Go to tacticalpermaculture.com for more info. You gotta train for me Because I'm training for you We gotta love, love And revolution to do You better train for me You'll be training for you Episode 32, Cultivating an Eco-Warrior Mindset Staying in the Fight to Protect Wild Lives, originally published August 30th, 2022. Taking this opportunity to report on a another epic rain harvesting event. And uh, just when I thought it couldn't, things couldn't get better, <laughs> it got way better. Um, but it was also, it was also a little bit, uh, a little scary. <laughs> But I'm still, I'm still on on the natural high. The uh, all of the chemistry of um, of getting into extreme extreme um, hustle mode, and so I don't want to. I don't want to let another. I don't want. I want. I don't want to let days go by before I start forgetting some of the important details and uh, so yeah it's just in the context of reading reading the reports from around the world of just more and more deaths from floods and more and more deaths from drought and ensuing famine climate refugees millions and millions of people being displaced water wars Dams shutting off, industries shutting down, air conditioning shutting off. Shit really hitting the fan. But you know what? There's no power to run the fan, so the shit hits it and just falls to the ground. So I guess that's a bonus, right? Seriously, though, more and more, I'm, I'm just, um, I just cannot... I can't believe how so far so good blessed the site selection has been for me um <laughs> despite the fact that I'm that I'm struggling psychologically and, and physiologically with the with enduring the heat and adapting st- strategies MacGyvering heat heat illness um, medical survival strategies which I've talked about at length and I keep hoping (laughs) that the heat will break as the days of summer start to um, to get less and less but the last two days it was back up to 110 and I was just distraught over that, but 
but my strategies to stay alive are working and um, having captured that last rain event enough to keep my trees and my fish and my plants going without me having to to leave the site which I do not want to do until the fall and I'm I'm pushing the outer limits of uh, of what I could what, what how how long I could go with with one topping off of my my water tanks um, trucking in my own entire water supply and praying and dancing for rain so that that can be extended and I can irrigate with rainwater rather than my drinking water which was just an inevitability but um, but yeah most importantly for me as of the last rain event knowing that I could extend my extend the uh, the on-site duration of this of this stretch um, all the way to the fall and not risk a lot of potential calamity in the in the scorching heat where where just the the equation of of it being life and death it that all, that all can change when the temperature goes down enough to where it's not it's not life threatening and um so i've been able to reason with and myself and reconcile with myself that uh just be cool try to <laughs> try to make it through this summer cannot last forever and uh yeah the last rain event it it did it did extend that water supply and uh and and I don't know now I didn't haven't counted counted the days since when that was but it was only it was only this morning that I started to um to basically have to tap into some some water storage to irrigate again so however long that was that rain event carried me through to this point and um and it and it felt like it was enough could never have enough be so grateful for more but just barely enough is the is is the game changer that that I prayed for and that and that arrived and I feel so blessed for it and I was not at all um like expecting more um I'm I was have been prepared for more kind of dialing in different systems for rainwater catchment and um being being ready for more but but not expecting it and not not psychologically leaning on that hope there had been a and since then there have been just a, a couple of 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 trickles here and there it got me a little bit. They were kind of a tease. They got me a little excited, and then they they fizzled out.
But lo and behold, today at uh, middle of the day, like three, four o'clock, a little later, but yeah, afternoon-ish, and uh, and I'm just suffering through the 110 degree temperatures and um, laid out, trying to trying to avoid heat rash and getting in these weird yogic contortions to to keep my body parts from from folding onto themselves, where where moisture can can accrue and, and therefore rashes can occur so it's just this constant shifting around and contorting <laughs> to stay to stave off heat rash and uh yeah it really feels like solidarity with people who are who are who are bearing injuries and and bedridden have to like use this webbing to to alternate my legs being suspended and it's a it's a trip um sounds bizarre but but it it makes sense and and I had to do it last year and I realized that it's just like this is the until I have the the capital until I have the infrastructure in place unfortunately that's that's just the reality of getting through these extreme heat months and then it's worth it if I survive those months because the rest of the year I just dial in the number of layers and bundle up and I'm snug as a bug in the rug I'm so so comfortable sleep so well and uh, I guess I earn I earned that <laughs> that respite by surviving the heat. But interestingly enough, so yeah, this afternoon, I'm, I'm just <laughs> trying to survive the heat and uh, didn't at first realize how uh, synchronistic it was that I had a dream last night about I don't know where in the world it was, but it was an interesting sort of survival community and and I was one of the hydrologic engineers and working on pond um, supply lines and uh, and and fixing and it's using some of the equipment that i that I'm using out here and definitely was not here that was in the dream. But it was like very odd kind of what ended up being a premonition because today there I was again in this extreme storming, raining um, water mode where I was yeah using and interacting with the same equipment and whatnot. So maybe I could maybe I could uh, take that as a hint next time. But like I said, I've been optimizing my readiness um and it's a very interactive thing because i want to once the rain starts coming down there are a few a few opportunities to to maximize capturing where i'm involved like for example i said before sweeping this concrete pad when where the water starts kind of pulling up and capturing that and it's it's 
quite an epic sort of manual, like cartoon looking kind of activity. But, um, but it's totally worth it because I will not, I will not spare or I will not, um, neglect any drop that I possibly can, can get. And I'm so far away from my ideal, which would be capturing most of the water that, that drops on the property if possible, or, or quite a bit more of it than I am. So yeah, I mean, it's, so I'm there chilling, I mean, they're cooking basically, and then out of nowhere, it just starts crazy violent winds, and there had been virtually no clouds all day, no indications of this, and, uh, and then boom, out of nowhere, just crazy powerful winds, shaking me like crazy and then I get that smell and it's a beautiful it's called sweet sage and um if you've only ever smelled sage in the form of a smudge stick burning or smelled the white sage plant it's a good enough reference but there's something that's also referred to as sweet sage which is kind of like a cross between the smell of sweet grass and white sage and it's a plant and I used to have it growing or it was growing wild where I was last at and it's so interesting here unlike anywhere else I've been and I'm sure there are other places that have this characteristic but here whenever it's about to rain or it has rained or it is raining all of the, all, throughout that throughout all of that duration there's this dense thick humid beautiful smell of of sweet sage which I, I imagine it is some of the, the shrub, uh, the actual shrubs themselves that are responding out here. And um, it, what, it's, not, it's not sweet sage. I actually am not enough of a plant geek to identify the dominant um, the dominant uh, plant species that's out here. And so I need someone to do that for me. Whoever does that for me is going to be my best friend for life. But um, who knows, for all I know, it's edible. And if I die and starve out here and didn't know that, it will be it'll be sad irony. But no, it, it's, it's just rough shrub. It doesn't produce any fruit or anything, barely any flowers. Um, but it's a survivor. But I imagine that that's got to be either yeah i mean that's got to be what's what's sort of um adding that that beautiful scent to the air but because i noticed that despite the me noticing no clouds and that when the when the when the when the, when the storming wind came on and that and very and within seconds i'm smelling that 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 moist scent of sweet sage then I knew, oh shit, all right, get ready for action. And seconds later, I'm almost flooded where I'm at. Like hail is smashing on the roof and it's super loud and it's somewhat terrifying. And and it's just gushing rain into into my tiny home where we're basically like, it's in some ways I, I wanted it to be porous in some ways. Um, to be open to a breeze it's more like a hut you know and it's not it's not 
watertight it's not airtight it just has basically a corrugated roof that that catches the rainwater but if the rain's blasting sideways you know some of it's gonna some of it's gonna get in and, and I'm okay with that I have to be okay with that I have a plan b but I've survived like that for for years now winter and summer and um and because it's a the back of a truck basically like the ribbed bed liner if water gets come you know if water hits the walls and and drips down and goes underneath the mattress or the cushions basically you know if i want sometimes i'll i'll wrap i'll wrap them in garbage bags basically so they don't get moldy smelling but but the water that gets in it will just like it's meant to uh it'll just kind of go out through the grooves and so as long as i keep my office equipment dry and i don't and, and myself dry um it's not a big deal um so i didn't panic about that i did take some extra measures to dry some or to to protect some electronic stuff but that but it was like get the fuck out of here and get the fuck out on on the back 40 and make sure that everything is is dialed in and optimized to get this rain because you don't know how long it's going to last and and it would be I would really like to extend this this stretch given some given some administrative uh factors there are some dealings I have to do errands I have to run eventually and I want to minimize the number of trips that are required. I want to make it so like I only have to leave here once for the rest of the year versus like two or three times. And and if I could capture the rain today like I did, then I'm pretty much guaranteed that it's going to be like that, which I feel fucking great about and was worth it for me to get the fuck out in that hailing, in that fucking hail, wind, rainstorm and... And just run out and well not run but briskly walk and get over to where I have this system set up that is funny to call it a system but in permaculture it, it's like everything is everything is a systemic design everything is systemic ecosystemic thinking just parts put together for a designer reason to achieve a certain outcome for there to be inputs and outputs and um and elements and basically yeah it's 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 a bit everything is there's no engineering design that's that's too simple um if it involves placement in space and relationships with interacting with other other elements of time over time so so I haven't I had not shared this before and it's not ideal it's not my dream solution but it, it it's a very very much a successful now proven MacGyvered solution and um and a temporary solution to multiply vastly the amount of rainwater that I can catch without having thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that I'm willing to spend um, at this moment to to apply to getting bentonite and having something that will last thousands of years um, 
as the rainwater catchment. So, in other words, I sort of broke one of my ideal guidelines a little bit and I backslid a little bit on my no plastic policies and I I had purchased a $30 roll of 4 mil plastic sheeting that's 20 by 25 feet and um and and there's been there were a couple of smaller rains earlier where I had been catching from my roof of my little tiny home and it was pretty it was it was symbolic you know at best I was glad I did it and I was like okay well spiritually it's symbolic I feel like it's almost just sort of a symbolic ceremonial obligatory thing and I feel connected with the elements that way but it was not significant unfortunately um, because of just the it's, just, it's, it's a small footprint honestly but um and it's not perfectly efficient. And so it was starting to haunt me that it's like, dude, you bought that roll of plastic. You need to like not be a purist and not be so um, extreme about avoiding plastic. Of course, the last thing I want is to lay out a roll of plastic and have it just get destroyed by the sun and ripped to shreds and dispersed in the ecosystem and become more like what do you call it uh tumbleweeds of plastic that that fly onto my property from eons ago you know i don't want to be a part of that so i endeavor not to be however under the circumstances i can be responsible for it and, and maintain it and just make sure that I that I dispose of it before it starts being degraded too much. So I don't know how long it's going to last. I know this stuff is pretty pretty resilient, um, but I vow to 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 be to be good about that. But I I did take one of the um, one of the pond. The, the I du I've dug several several pond uh, sort of um, bowls out of the landscape and um, mainly to coincide with the earthworks, the swales, which are contour ditches, so that if there is like biblical level floods, those swales will fill up and they will um, ultimately ultimately through the system that I designed, they will end up filling um, these uh, these these pocket ponds that are that are dispersed uh, strategically in the landscape based on just the contours of the land. I had to use a I made what's called a an A-frame level so that I could carve out on the landscape contour lines that were natural to the to the, the the topography and um and so when rain sheet flows of rain sort of um start running in these dry creek beds that i have uh which i don't know if those creek beds are from a million years ago or a hundred years ago or five years ago but uh i haven't seen them flow yet but I, but I'm like, 
that's what you key off of. That's what you design off of. You say, I'm designing for the 100-year flood or the whatever, however many cyclical years. I'm designing for a flood event, and I want to keep as much of that productive potential on my property, and I want to slow, sink, and spread that water every drop that I can. And so the ultimate rainwater catchment strategy is that these these bowls that I've dug that are that are the endpoints of these um, these these somewhat micro scale but somewhat vast uh, swale systems that even if they're not sealed with bentonite or anything else, if they fill up, they will they will um, they will drain slow enough even in desert sand they they would at a certain point drain slow enough for me to to bail out as much as I possibly could and and, and, and refill storage tanks um, that's like the plan if there is major flooding and major rain and by and I don't and I haven't I haven't put the bentonite in place so the fact that I had that roll of plastic um, already set aside for something else, but that but I actually ended up not not needing it for that or deciding not to use it for that. And so I and so it kept haunting me like that roll is there. You've dug those bowls out. What you need to do is go roll that shit out, line one of those bowls, and and don't drive yourself crazy about what in normal ponding you have to do before you lay down usually uh edpm rubber liner if i remember correctly the i think it's uh i don't know the whole chemical name that 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 the acronym stands for but um but i've used it before and it's it's very thick it's like almost between an eighth of an inch and almost a quarter inch that you can get it's very expensive i it's got it's got materials in it that are supposedly fish safe, but I don't want to use that in aquaculture so much. And I don't want to use any plastic in aquaculture. Um, but, you know, people use IBC totes for aquaponics and uh, I'm I'm shifting away from that. And uh, I'm not the only person who feels, feels good about... Um, or decent enough about about uh, galvanized metal stock tanks for aquaculture. So, so that's what I, that's what I'm doing aquaculture in now. I don't want to do aquaculture on plastic or on rubber liner. I want to do that on a on a broad scale with um, with bentonite. But in the meantime, as far as just catching rainwater, catching it and then bailing it out. And then transporting it to my um, transporting it to my my uh, galvanized aquaculture system. That makes a lot of sense, and so I went ahead and did that, and that was what I was capturing from the last time I spoke about this, where I was using my cupped hands and just having such a albeit mediated through plastic I was having such an epic primal experience of being one with the elements and yeah having this monsoon um, blessing 
shower, uh, shower slash uh, laundry, free laundry, free shower. Hadn't had a shower in goddamn how many, how many, how many, almost over a year. Yeah. So, and just carefully, but somewhat frantically trying to catch as much water as I could. And having put that in place, I did it very, um, I don't want to say sloppily, but it was, it wasn't fully optimized. And I, and, and it was like just a very, a proto prototype sort of attempt and that was just okay. I'll, I'll 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 lay it out in this depression, this bowl shape that I had dug out. That's that's almost almost the same, um, almost the same size. It's a little bit bigger, but it, it's great because there's sev- there's like three levels to it. It's like three concentric circles, and it just ended up being the exactly just ergonomic. Um, determined proportion of it being like as is as i mean the the dimensions of these of these dugout uh pond bowls these basically three shelves three concentric circles with the ideal of like it's not going to be perfectly the same once it's like once bentonite is 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 added to it it's going to change some of its shape somewhat and it's sand, so it's not like I'm carving out these these shelves in, in in more solid earth. But ideally, to mimic nature and and, and the idea of building ponds with multiple multiple species, some of them that grow up from the some submerged that grow up from the bottom, um, bog plants that sort of uh, that, that live higher up and 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 grow. It will submerge totally submerged plants, partially submerged plants, some that grow from the bottom, some that grow at the side, some that float on the top, and so facilitating that diversity of layers almost like the food forest layers in permaculture, the aquaculture layers you have to create these shelves in order for those to really do well because they 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 grow at different heights and they have different just yeah diverse needs and whatnot so so that's part of the part of the thinking part of the design and um and what it what it turns out being is that this pattern emerged that wasn't i i basically determined the the, the i optimal range that i could with a shovel dig and toss that excavated shovel worth of material how far how far radiating out from the center of a of a circle how far could i toss that to build up what would become the sort of um this outer berm that would increase the catchment area obviously because it's going to go up however many feet and be a little conical mound donut ring going around the pond and uh so how far could i toss that and yeah it ends up being i don't know i forget i'm not i'm not remembering exactly what the i won't even say exactly what the diameter is but basically it's like i don't know at least probably a 20 foot not yeah 20 maybe yeah 20 foot diameter um 15 to 20 feet diameter 
So from the center, just digging and tossing and then carving out these these shelves. So each of them would be basically about a third of 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 eating into the diameter. So you so you end up having this sort of um, inverted concentric circle cone going down. And by the time <laughs> it's easy, the top shelf, the second lower shelf is a little bit harder. By the time you get into that into the the, the lowest point, then you get the real workout because you're tossing not just to the grade but you're tossing over the grade because that mound is building up so it's a hell of a workout and it did have a very somewhat noticeable effect on my physique after doing that numerous times and and I and it was just like the pressure was on I'm like I have to do this I have to put in this minimum number of these of these pawns in order to not feel like I I wasted an opportunity if there is a major rain event and I let it just flow right past me and um and the stakes are high for fucking that up so I had pushed myself through the winter through last fall as soon as the heat broke I was a maniac doing that and um and and I'm I'm glad I did and even though it's sort of like bittersweet that uh that that the economy crashed in a way that i didn't get to just like flow right into sealing those ponds with bentonite you know the the bear market macgyver strategy not to for all not to be lost was to deploy that plastic sheeting and just grin and bear it and um and so yeah the underlayment situation in normal ponding, yeah, you would do a lot, spend a lot of time removing all the rocks and sticks and roots and pokey things. And then on top of that, there are more environmentally friendly things to, to use, but it's recommended and a lot of people would just use carpet, old used carpet. But something has got to go between that liner and the the bare soil beneath because pressure is going you're going to be loading up that liner with thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of water and so much pressure per square foot or square inch or whatever i'm not a genius with that kind of calculation but of course you do not want that to get punctured and especially working for clients having to having to deal with that and I have done a a few professional uh, pond installations like that for clients I wish I had been able to do more but it hasn't been the most in vogue thing um, with the companies I work for and the clients that I had but I always want I would always try to promote it Um, but something struck me when I was doing this and I'm and I'm realizing like look you don't have the budget of your old clients on the west side Malibu Beverly Hills Pacific Palisades Palos Verdes whatever that was that was my beat you know and those were the, some of the richest people in the world and price was no object and they would scrap one design and go for another one have us put put in trees and just to take them right out if they were in a bad mood it was a shit show it was insane i watched so much money get thrown out um and it was just yeah well i guess they spent it on me and i I got a lot of experience 
Um, I, I learned some things what not to do, a lot of things that I that I want to do, but um, but without that kind of power financially and having to MacGyver things a bit, I really did get to a point where I realized, look, understand this: if all you're doing in a fucking desert that is almost totally parched, dry year-round and there's only going to be a few times where you have a chance to capture as much fucking rain it reminds me as a kid watching those those old shopping sprees where it was like they would let a kid with a shopping cart into a toy store for like 10 minutes or something and they would get to go nuts running down the aisles and trying and loading that thing up with everything they could imagine um, that they could fit and that's how I feel about just this these opportunities to get the rain and Jeff Lawton really put the fear of hell in me talking about this in the canonical permaculture design course where he talked about, um, when I say canonical, I say the Bill Mollis and Jeff Lawton Tagari uh, DVD set, PDC. And, um, and my notes from that, him talking about like, the work he's done greening the desert and and how how you're designing for a flood how rare the rain events are and how the entire year's worth of total rainfall could happen over just a, a a few a few hours and a few and a few days and you can be killed by that if you're in the wrong place in time or you could be kept alive and um by by designing properly and and there's a lot of strategies and techniques so I'm doing my best with what I have to implement that wisdom bits and pieces of it and um and so having that awareness I did at one point think to myself like look you don't have to to worry about putting underlayment under that full 25 by 20 feet sheet of plastic because it's only going to be small streams of raindrops going down a slope into that bowl and it's only really the bottom ring of that of that bowl where the pressure is going to be piled up in and so just so i realized okay i can take one of my six by nine um my new favorite material six by nine canvas cheapo painter drop cloth and it's uh no frills just a nice canvas kind of beigeish white tone no chemicals no bleach all natural and i'm using that for shade and for uh wrapping wrapping uh material that i don't want to be degraded by the sun and uh just drapery and furnishings and whatnot and eventually i'll probably make my own clothes out of it so i've got a bunch of that i I stocked up on a bunch of those and so i realized yeah just go ahead and and lay one down at the that, that lower circle and then that will be enough obviously clear out big rocks and whatnot but that'll be enough to create a sort of cushioning and a barrier between whatever pokey things are underneath where that water is going to pool up and it's going to put a lot of pressure and weight on that plastic. But everything beyond that is just quickly funneling 
drops of rain down. There's not going to be walking on it. There's not going to be weight on it. It's just going to be elegant little streams of drops of rain going very quickly straight down into that pool. So if you back up that pool with that underlayment, then it should be fine. And lo and behold, it held up way better than I thought. And, uh, and it really filled up that, that, that lower, that, that lower ring, um, to where I was able to top off my, uh, my my fish tank my uh galvanized aquaculture tank system which is i don't know 150 gallons it's not it's not that big it's not as big as i as i would like to go but it's perfectly sized for where i have it and it's perfectly sized for the scale that i'm operating on and um as a one-man survival ecosystem on a budget for now (laughs) and and yeah it was to me it was uh it was somewhat miraculous that it worked out so well of course my one of my big fears was that the second i lay this stuff out and turn my back on it a coyote is going to get curious about it and come in and start tearing it up because they do come very close very often and hang out and and chew into things and fuck with things and you know i love them i i got i got no enmity towards them whatsoever it's my responsibility to like protect them and keep keep them from from any issues that that i could be responsible for so i don't like them interacting with plastic because i have plastic things um and so lo and behold yes one of them the first night that it was there (laughs) it came in and it and it uh it tore up a big section but luck but luckily well it tore it tore i don't know an area up that was maybe i guess the size of uh a size of 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 an area that you could park a scooter in or something like maybe park a motorcycle in or whatever just like chewed up, chewed up this 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 range and um but luckily, luckily it wasn't in the very bottom, which if it had done that, it would have really, it would have really, uh, it would have been devastating for, to, to the functioning of that system. Yeah, I could have, I would have had to cut that, I would have had to try to either patch it or cut or salvage the, the, the outer areas, which would drastically reduce those. But luckily, it was it was kind of in the middle, a little bit higher higher up, and I was able to kind of yeah, I could try to patch it more with with duct tape and whatnot. But but I realized that it, it it's still working damn fine, even with that bit of a bit of a uh, of a, of, a, of a loss. And so so far, that was the only incident, and I'm hoping that it stays that way. But I did know that because of the way, I mean, I just, I just laid it out and I put rocks all around the edge, hoping that those rocks would stay in place. And then day after day, I would notice that wind would get under it. And even the biggest, heaviest rocks would, they wouldn't get thrown around, but the, but the sheet would just kind of like, like you're doing the rug pole or the, or the tablecloth pole it would just leave the rocks in place and get and get sucked out from under it so i 
so I knew I'm like yeah as soon as uh, as soon as I'm not just completely debilitated by the heat one of these mornings I'm going to muster up the strength to get out there and dig out at least a shovel's a shovelful around the perimeter of the of the of the plastic and just uh drop that in a little bit and then tuck it in with 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 the with what had come out of the shovel so basically preventing wind airflow from getting under it and turning it into a fucking parachute <laughs> which was starting to happen and I and I don't need it to get torn up that way like it'll last a lot longer if I if I take the measures to do that and lo and behold of course because I because I've been demoralized and debilitated by the heat I did not I did not do that uh when I probably when I definitely should have which was when it wasn't storming and raining and, and gusting wind but of course because I was aware of it not being optimized today as soon as that storm started I said fuck it I have to go out there and I went and I did that and it was it was an insanely epic workout to be moving all those rocks and getting battered by the the wind and the rain and and just um at a frenzied pace but also being uh thoughtful and and, and mindful and, and careful but at a frenzied pace non-stop digging out that whole perimeter and with with the wet sand and it was like it's weird because I can't do a lot of cardio <laughs> and I can't do a lot of any exercise in these temperatures uh, without risking heat stroke so even in the earliest morning it's like you're so beaten up from the day before I do very very light calisthenics a little bit of pull-ups and 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 yogic type stuff and some martial arts stretching but but I I I've said before it's kind of like the the tai chi years that I'm that I'm <laughs> forced to deal with right now in at least in this season so to go from not being totally conditioned to to hardcore resistance and cardio but to be able to to know that it's possible to, for me to snap back into that if I have the right chemistry of motivation which is like fuck like it's i mean it's still gonna work it'll it'll work as good as it did last time which was fine but i don't want to risk that uh that half of half of its potential is like goes away because you know i turn my back on it and the wind pulls half of it out and it's like flopped over and it only caught half as much water as it could have if if i wouldn't have if I would have, you know, if I wouldn't have waited to get it squared away. So I squared it away and I did it in a manner that, that just was, uh, uh, well, it was, it was, um, it was not the smartest way to learn this, but it was important to learn this, that it's like, well, it is good to know that I have the capacity, even under these extreme conditions to like, just snap into beast mode and knock something like that out which um i mean i'm not gonna say that it was like the same thing as like lifting up a car to rescue somebody because you have that much adrenaline 
but it but it's in the ballpark of that feeling of like this is the mission and I'm going to not like feel anything <laughs> until it's over lactic acid you know exhaustion of any kind just like no just continue put yourself through it and uh and yeah you know quick enough a little bit of heave ho and 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 barbaric yelps and primal screaming it, it got done and it's a million times better because of it and i caught an insane amount of water and was able to just astonishingly again from even a lower starting point be able to top off that system the the top off the fish the fish uh, stock tank and uh and just come down and cool down from that workout in the process of of uh of of bailing up that water and um and really thinking to myself wow i mean i was just feeling into and feeling so much compassion and empathy and and heartbreak for the people who are suffering with long covid who could not have done what i just did today and that low energy low movement impossible to do anything brisk any cardio without just being in excruciating debilitating pain where you could where you could not do what i just did that's where i say to myself that's why you're here that's what you were doing and whether or not you listening to this have a extremist survivalist i wouldn't even say that because a lot of survivalists are are covid minimizers and deniers so i don't know what to call myself i call myself a um I just yeah I feel like I'm the the uh my my covid response and I've said it before in an episode where I talked about sci- sci-fi epistemology and the and the, the 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 evolving pandemic or the ongoing pandemic it's like for me I'm using the precautionary principle and um and i don't want to take every covid variant on the chin vaccinated boosted paxlovid testing whatever like to me it's all whistling past the graveyard and everyone who doesn't air gap their body from the public during this time is is a threat to my mission of survival and therefore i only want to interact with people who are willing to air gap themselves which means being in the public period is going to for me necessitate an appropriate quarantine period before i'm going to want to casually interact with anybody and that may be for the rest of my life and if that means i live out here and i risk valley fever and fungal i may lose my lungs and my lung capacity for trying to avoid respiratory illnesses in the city and i may 
and I may die or be debilitated from my lung capacity by being exposed to a high level of um of 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 like deadly fungus colonizing the lungs but so far so good and what I've read is that if you're robust and have a healthy immune system then similar to legionnaires you know if you're not unhealthy and you're not that that old you should be able to your immune system should be able to fight off those invasions and people have been living in the wild forever so you know and if the if i die by the wild <laughs> live by the wild and die by the wild i'm okay with that and i will consider it a good life and i don't need to live 150 years and be a transhumanist and go to mars uh, or back up my consciousness into a into a hard drive or go into cryogenic sleep or whatever i'm content playing fair with the elements wanting to move away from all plastic so I can feel even more that I'm like make I'm I'm earning my existence with my hands and my wits in the wild in partnership with the elements not being a hazard to other you know I, I, I then I, I would say that um, I'm very open-minded and I spend a lot of time studying all the different perspectives on 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 epidemiology uh, the folk the folk perspectives from the all spectrums of politics and the really nerdy scientific stuff. Um, and so I'm very, to me, from an anthropological perspective, I'm super interested in how narratives get formed around this. And like, I find myself in a very, a very like sci-fi movie plot around my reaction to this situation and and like my sensibilities around this matter have really been sort of um facilitated by it's almost like the my life circumstances my finances where i find myself where i end up for since right before the pandemic like everything has been so finely tuned just forces beyond my control to really like furnish and facilitate my sci-fi fantasy around something like this happening which is like something straight out of John Carpenter or James Cameron or something it's like so quintessential eerily quintessential sci-fi plot which I, I guess I manifested if you believe in the secret or law of attraction or whatever and, be, and because of that like I don't feel deprived of partying and bars and things I did get a lot of that I got it all a lot of it out of my system if I was a lot a lot younger I would probably be making up excuses why why we should be minimizing all the restrictions and why it's a you know it's a conspiracy and whatnot I have the privilege and luxury to have got a lot of socializing and partying and community aspirations really out of my system. And I was ready to do the Walden Pond thing already before COVID. So COVID was just like affirmation amongst a lot of other things. And yeah, there's a lot of sacrifices, a lot of things I'm not thrilled about. But of all of the times for it to happen... And for all hell break, to break loose epidemiologically with COVID and beyond, 
it couldn't have come at a better time in my arc of my life. I'm not chasing girls, and I and I could only say at this arc of my life that I'm not that I that I'm I'm not driven crazy and terrorized by the by the incessant desire to chase girls and at all costs, you know? I mean, if this was 10 or 20 years ago, I would have been eating covid for breakfast while strategizing about how to how to chase girls. I mean, that's all there is to it. So I get it that people certainly younger people have no time for like a protracted pandemic and my favorite quote is that people are sick of covid <laughs> and uh so hey if you're listening to this and you're sick of covid do you and if you want to do me be willing to quarantine be a rugged as fuck badass all terrain all season off grid off road Mad Max fucking warrior and bring two weeks of your own supplies and I will invite you to come out and hang out with coyotes and birds and scorpions and spiders and rainstorms and windstorms and and smell the sweet sage that comes on whenever it's about to rain and um inch by inch row by row we're gonna make this garden grow but yeah it's it's it could be very lonely but i feel i I feel ready for this and it feels good so you know not for everybody but um the walden pond mystique i'm glad i'm getting to do that and it is a very similar process of transformation of really like shedding a lot of that urban armor and realizing just how much bs you you end up putting up with and uh and i don't miss a lot of it i do miss some dear friends and lovers and um and i don't yeah who knows i'm i'm not about to let my guard down and go travel or go party or hang out or go to conferences or whatever because you know, pandemics over and whatnot. Like that's not that's not my frame of mind. And so this really is a precious thing for me. This is no longer survivalism as a after work or after school hobby. This is like this is the 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 are lethal forces of na- of nature working sometimes to benefit me and sometimes to potentially kill me. And doing that alone. And relying on my wits and my training and experience and, you know, vicissitudes of budgetary um, constraints. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty epic adventure. And uh, I know, yeah, I know I'm sure a lot of people are out there being like, yeah, this, this was, this was the impetus for me to do what I had trained to do for years, which is actually bug out like it's a real end of the world as we know it and from whatever early 2020 to now i think the world as we knew it we want to call it the new normal i call it the end of the world as we knew it <laughs> you know what i mean Tio Tawaki. and so to me the preppers and survivalists that are so addicted to the old normal that 
haven't adapted intelligently. Well, I don't want to say some people aren't intelligent, but I will say I'm. I was shocked and dismayed at how obviously the it obviously was because it was so politicized and polarized. But I think a if it wasn't an election year and it wasn't so polarizing politically, more sensible survivalists would have said, "This is what we train for." get out, get out, get out, bug out to your bug out location and subsist on that continuum of preps for self-reliance, i.e. your stored food, eat what you store, store what you eat, and your stored water and your stored medical supplies, and now start to do the fine-grained zone one permaculture gardening to complement the trees and the perennials that you planted over all those years. <laughs> That's like you're supposed to be able to just like snap into your bug out location long-term mainframe permaculture design that doesn't just have pallets of dried food but it has earthworks food forests fiber crops timber crops all kinds of interactions already in place and since 2008, any prepper who has paid attention to the modern survival movement knows in their heart of hearts the way I do that we have no excuse. And everything we spent time and money on that wasn't fulfilling that bug out bare minimum prerequisite to whatever scale it reflects poorly on our, on our having known better. No excuse to say we didn't know better. So I have to live with that. And I uh, have my own explanations and excuses, but I have a lot of catching up to do. And it really is life and death out here because I don't have shade of canopy of date palms and mulberries and and figs the way that I would like to, the way that I that I would need to. I'm barely staying alive and I'm barely keeping my plant and livestock alive. And learning to be a friend to all life in this ecosystem, in this wilderness, and learning how to adapt to the extremes. All while back in civilization, there are those who are taking every COVID variant on the chin having a very callous and cavalier attitude and really having what I think to be a very pathological sociopathic attitude towards the sufferers of long COVID and the, the frontline healthcare workers and the frontline low-income people who I've been one for all of my life and, and still am kind of um, still am despite having a bit of a nest egg I'm trying to preserve and protect and draw slowly from to, to build the system out here but yeah the the hubris and the sort of um, yeah the sociopathy towards the front frontline healthcare workers the people in the world who can't who couldn't afford their nations, their countries, they couldn't afford a vaccine rollout. Whether, however you feel about it, maybe you think that's a good thing, maybe you don't. Either way, it's a very uh, unequal access to um, 
you know, the strategies that, that, that rich or well-off people were able to employ in their lives, even if they were anti-vax, they still had to have a strategy to avoid the kind of exposure that they would have had if they were frontline healthcare workers or if they were the ones doing all the deliveries. So whatever strategies those are, and I have myself had moral dilemmas being on both sides of that, of, 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 of being being a victim and being a victimizer and, and to different degrees as the dust was settling on what kind of strategy was going to keep you even alive. You know, so I won't go deep into that now, but I will say that like, hey, I have a seriously, I spent years cultivating a, an aspirational, deep and thoughtful heart space through tantric practices does that mean that i don't have any blind spots no does that mean that those blind spots can't harm other people and i could get put in check for that no and thankfully i've had conscious people around me who have helped put put me in check when i need when i've needed to and i have course corrected on some things but the pattern is or and the 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 the, the holistic overall pattern is i do care and I do think and feel deeply about this crisis that's ongoing. I think about how it affects people who have less resources than me. I think about how people with more resources than me have uh, have attitudes about it. And, um, and, and most of all, I inoculate myself on a daily basis with a continual stream of information about long COVID. And... Um, and I wanted to share these feelings right now because as I was out there and was able to do what Navy SEALs talk about, performance on demand, staying fit, staying in shape, continuing to train in the off-season between rotations and missions and whatnot, I'm really shadowing and mirroring and, and absorbing as much of their mindset as I can from what they call knowledge transfer because whereas I did not want to fight the global war on terror and be the tip of the spear and have traumatic brain injury from all of the concussions of all of the weaponry and explosives and IEDs on, that, on those battlefields, like those team guys, they've endured that. And... I, I honor that now more than ever, realizing how when I when I was at the age of nine eleven, I was just a anarcho peace punk wannabe eco radical militant with a, a chip on my shoulder about how we should. Well, I had all kinds of rhetoric, but at the end of the day, I mean, I I I I felt like I was my own designer self-styled eco-warrior defending our nation in a way that was not not really you don't get a purple heart for saving a tree you know for risking your life when loggers are shooting it in your direction and and you're fighting and trying to survive um all kinds of um shady tactics from the feds you know to me I was in the forest. When people say, where were you on 9-11? I was in the tree sits 
barely with a radio signal where the hippies from uh, the hippies from the rainbow gathering said Babylon's falling and I don't mean I'm not laughing about what's funny is just the absurdity of our situation being in a remote old growth forest tree sit and the, to me like my reaction to a, a, a very like stoner hippie-ish kind of kind of out there um translation of current events i would i didn't get a very like succinct war room kind of briefing about what was the state of the world i just woke up one morning out in the tree sits and and this group of hippies started coming up and and were and were were emphatically or not emphatically they were like um they were uh what's the word uh exclaiming that Babylon was falling down, that Babylon was falling, man, Babylon's falling. They're like, what are you talking about? This is just the rhetoric of what comes up through that tribe. And, um, you know, and I had to, you know, I had to, I didn't interrogate them. I had to ask them, like, what the fuck are you, I mean, I was, I was nice, but I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, what, what, what are you talking about? And then one of them, was able to articulate something like what was actually going on and it was it yeah i mean obviously i had my own moment of shock and disbelief and then i happened to be getting a ride back into town that day and uh and then i was watching the footage real time like it was within a couple of hours that i got back into town and it, it, if it wasn't if it wasn't exactly real real time it was just the unfolding situation and um and i did write an essay in my college paper about how how people of my political persuasion were were framing this as a as part of a, a bigger picture and um by no means condoning it or aligning with it but understanding that this is a um it's an entire paradigm of tit-for-tat warfare going back thousands of years between religious tendencies and between resource battles and and empire battles and like where does it end and for me it wasn't personally my calling to go and be the tip of the spear but that did not mean that i was going to um do anything but remain a hyper fit hyper aware hyper educated uh engaged warrior and for me like I said, I'm not going to get a purple heart for it. I'm not asking for any valor whatsoever. I'm saying that in my heart, I put, I did the, I did my own warrior path of like facing danger, facing fear, overcoming that fear, and putting my body in harm's way for the cause that I believe in to defend the nation in a way that. Sadly, most of the military's prerogative is to defend the corporations that are raping the earth 
under our feet within the borders of our nation. And before I get on a soapbox about that, I will just say that like the sentiment I'm getting at here to close this up is that like there's there's something about there's something interesting and beautiful about about how psychedelics are bringing together eco warriors with special operators who've worked in in the global war on terror and who who have through different regimens of training through different types of immersion into the wilderness I mean, it's very quintessential with the dual survival show with Cody Lundin and um, and what was the other dude's name um, from spacing on his name right now. Uh, but they did like the, the hippie versus the um, the Bush hippie and the and the military guy. And that that's kind of it's kind of a um, Dave Canterbury, I think his name is. But that was very touching to me because it's like we need each other and it's a beautiful thing that like healing with psychedelics is bringing together the the psychedelic eco-warrior and the psychedelic warfighter terrorist war global war on terrorist warfighter Because now, in our 40s, from that arc of time, we burned our 20s, we burned our 30s, and we saluted who we saluted, and we we just kept ourselves in the, in, in ready mode, and we and we kept ourselves in in a, in a high performance state. So, you know. Like I'm not trying to use, I'm not trying to borrow or have stolen valor and use their rhetoric to like lead corporate retreat workshops and talk about this mindset. I'm 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 just fascinated by this this intersectionality, if you like, of um of what it what it means to look back on 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 20 years of service to your nation fighting different battles and facing different threats and overcoming different fears but the common denominator being what I like one of them said which is performance on demand so whatever your job is whatever you're trained to do you're on call for for me it was the movements that I participated in and the collectives that I that I formed and that I was a part of and the operations that we did and you know um, I don't need to there's there's nothing that interesting to incriminate or self-incriminate or statute of limitations whatever but you know there's nothing I did not get caught up in the green scare because I was more of a shall we say psychological warfare uh psychological warrior at that time uh, than than with a, a keen awareness that you do not cross between above ground and underground activities if you're going to cho- you choose one or the other and you don't 
you don't commingle those things, otherwise you go down, which is what the green scare was really um, all about and how that was, how that all shook out. I evaded that tactical disaster and I focused my efforts on taking my risks and, and, and putting my life on the line in ways that would stay cleanly in the above ground category. So I'll just leave it at that. But like, I don't know, I don't get to compare war stories about how many times I was shot at and how many battle scars I have. But I don't think that's, I think that's a shallow understanding of like what veterans have to offer and what, um, and what it is that they sacrificed how they sacrificed time with families or even I mean there's so much more to unpack and to share and so when I when I reference those elite operators and I dare compare myself on some level and not just me but my my peers it comes down to like can you operate with performance on demand and do you have the mindset to like execute tasks under extreme conditions and um I just I just don't understand how anyone who feels like they're on a mission who who feels like that they've invested a lot of time and money and resources into being their most available and prepared to serve their cause, their movement, their mission, their unit, whatever, that you that you're trained to do all of this self-maintenance and training and care and pipe hitting and all this stuff. And then and then you would just be um very very careless about about epidemiology that that I don't understand and so I'm just going to leave it there now and say I'm not giving advice to anybody I'm just giving my words of of honoring and I'm saying like yeah every time I want to slump and slouch and give up and and quit I fucking think about how I didn't go fight in in those wars I had a a greeny weeny leftist disposition that like part of me the more I learn about what they've done and the more I study them and learn and learn from their their, their mentorships um the more I have that growing sense of like yeah dude you um I mean there was no fucking way in hell that I was gonna change on a dime and go do what a lot of people did which was like 
go go sign up to be the tip of the spear and it's like one of those things now where no I can't I mean I wouldn't have done it if I could go back in time and do it I probably still would not do it but I will for damn sure kick myself as hard as I possibly fucking can to at least somewhat approximate the level of pressure that was put on them to do their task and put that pressure on myself to heal and empower and permify and green and restore and regenerate the soil of this nation and to like I'm not going to steal valor but I will I will um, be I will I will avail myself of the of a sense of patriotism that they exude which didn't make sense to me in my most radical of 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 teen and early 20 years and it's taken me a long time to get more mature in that sense so yeah if I didn't face the enemies of our country in that manner but I want to call myself a warrior and have that sense of pride in my own little fucking bubble of my life movie then I for damn sure better at the very fucking least not go be a LARPer and not fucking post a bunch of silly pictures on social media about trying to be a badass and compensate for my lack of having been in that role no the sensible thing to do is say those prayers of respect have that compassion for the injuries and traumas that they've suffered and um heal together in in the psychedelic movement and um and just feel blessed that a lot of them or at least a few of them are are really passionate about knowledge transfer to civilians and really empowering their fellow citizens the way that they empowered rebels overseas that is intuitive to them makes sense to them and and i think about the the vietnam veterans coming back and what what environment they came back into and this has got to be way fucking worse because coming back you may have more respect fighting in the wars that that we've been fighting in the last 20 years than the vietnam warriors received and there's obvious reasons for that but the country that they're now reintegrating with is a shit show and i really appreciate the fact that some of them are saying wow we've got, we were out there doing a job that was necessary training the indige as they say and they come back and they go whoa we got a lot of training of the indige we've got to do at home if we want to be a nation that could survive World War Three, which is already happening. And so, you know, I'm not 
a member of anything or I'm not uh, signing up to anything. I'm just absorbing what's been freely pulsing through the internet. And it's, it's like, um, yeah, I'm not going to do their exact workout routines. I'm not going to get the exact arsenals that they have. I'm not going to go to the exact places that they go to. But I will take those pivotal mind-changing, game-changing bits of wisdom that they would use to stay motivated to stay in the fight. So (laughs) I'm staying in the fight. I'm staying in the fight for nature, the fight for the health of the planet, the health of this nation's soil. And I'm staying in the fight for the health of my body and my lungs. And when I do what I did today and I think about the exertion and the effort and the circumstances that other people have had to man up in their path for whatever they were standing up for, whoever they were defending or whatever they were, whatever their operation entailed, they pushed themselves to maintain that readiness and that should apply to every human being alive who is aware that we're living in a world of extreme crisis. There's no excuse not to be training and learning and staying as fit as you possibly can, accepting that there are those who are unable to um, to maintain a certain uh, that certain level for whatever reason. With respect to that, it's our job to protect those who cannot protect themselves, to be able-bodied, to be, to be fit, to be sound mind. That's what this is all about. And um, <laughs> government's not going to do it for us. We got to do it for ourselves, and we got to build good, good coalitions to do it. And I'm just reminded to say kind, loving words to all the sufferers of long COVID, to all of my eco-warrior, radical, hippie, peace punk, (laughs) permaculture friends. I hope they're all surviving out there, doing similar things to what I'm doing, probably thriving a lot more than I am. Um, And I want to say that those kind, loving words to all of the, uh, all the veterans And I hope that they find um, good psychedelic therapies and I hope they find permaculture. Cheers. Oh,